I'm going to ask you to go to Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Then I'm going to go to Colossians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, they'll put these verses up on the screen for you here in a moment. Romans 4, 25 says, He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. I love that. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. Help us to to lean into what you have to say to us over these moments we have together. We believe that we are here for a reason. We're not here just because it's Easter Sunday. I think throughout all of time and history, because you are sovereign, this moment is sovereign. You saw us here in this room. You saw us in the hallway. You saw us standing in a corridor, wherever we are right now, you saw us online, wherever we are engaged in your word in this moment, you are sovereign over it. And so you have decided that in this moment, you have something to say, something you want to do in our lives. We're open to receive it in Jesus name. We pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. See what Jesus achieved on the cross is made good by his resurrection. In other words, through his death, it's like this. Someone explained it to me like this years ago. They said, through his death, God wrote a check for our redemption. And when he rose from the dead, it meant the money was in the bank so the check would clear. That made sense to a young 20-year-old who was trying to pay his bills and had written some bad checks in his life. And so I'm thankful today that Jesus rose from the dead because 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, it tells us if he did not raise from the dead, then our preaching is in vain, our believing is in vain, our singing is in vain, our showing up today is in vain, our, our best clothes that we put together, bringing our family out, suffering through this crowd in this, this parking lot, all of it is in vain if Jesus did not raise from the dead. But I am here today to tell you that Jesus is alive. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And one day, very soon, he is coming again. We believe that with all of our hearts. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 say this. They say, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And I love those first four verses because they are such, a, such an inspiration. They, are, they fill us with expectation and hope. But then verse five hits us in the face when he says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, he says, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways and the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all of these things, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. It's amazing because on Sunday, it's so easy to shout and to sing and to feel that forgiveness and that overwhelming redemption to celebrate the price that he paid, the fact that he has risen from the dead and the fact that he is coming again. But when Monday morning comes around and we have to put to death the flesh, that part of walking with God seems overwhelming, especially if we try to live out verse five 
without living in the light of the first four verses of Colossians chapter three. And so often we fail in our doing the other six days of the week because we lose sight of what Jesus has done and our focus becomes on our performance. And we put our focus again on verse five and we lose sight of the resurrection. So very often our lives look like the psalmist said in Psalm 38 and four, he said, I am swamped by my bad behavior. He said, I'm collapsed under an avalanche of guilt. Anybody in the room ever felt that way? Swamped by your bad behavior, collapsed under an avalanche of guilt. All of these things that I, I need to become because of what Jesus has done for me. Sometimes my inability to become those things because I focus so much on my ability and not his ability. It swamps me. It covers me up in guilt. It makes me feel like I am overwhelmed. I'm carrying a burden too heavy to bear. The word guilt or the meaning of being guilty is just the state of having committed an offense. But the problem with that is that it's not just the state or the fact of having committed an offense, but it's also the fact that there are emotions that come with the offense. And if I don't manage the emotions of falling short, if I don't manage the emotions of being guilty of not guilty of sin, then it will lead to shame in my life. And guilt is the feeling that we have when we've done something wrong. But shame is what we feel when we did, when what we did starts to define who we are. And because of what we've done, we start to believe that we are unworthy, that we are unlovable, that we are unwanted. And the only way out of shame is to respond properly to those feelings of guilt because guilt by itself will destroy us. It will overwhelm us. But the resurrection destroys the power of guilt and shame in our life. And if we're not careful, we won't let the resurrection do the work. We will do the work. And, in, and when we try to do the work, this is how we do the work when we feel guilt. We try to be perfect. And when we try to be perfect, what we are doing is we are trying to silence our shame with perfect performance. And we realize very quickly that we cannot be perfect. And because we cannot be perfect, but we are pretending to be perfect, now we have to hide our imperfections because we have declared ourselves to be perfect. And so when we do make mistakes, we never let anybody see those mistakes. We never invite, invite anybody into who we really are because we have... We have decided that we are going to put on a persona and a mask of perfection. And if when we feel guilt, we try to be perfect, it will overwhelm us because we cannot be perfect. If we feel guilt and we're not trying to be perfect, maybe we try criticism. Because criticism is how we make ourselves feel superior to others because we really feel inferior. So we begin to criticize others so that we feel better about ourselves, knowing that we are not good. And then the third thing we do is, is we doubt. So we, we start to, we start to self-defeat. We create behavior in our life. We create attitudes in our life, ways of thinking in our life that just expect bad. There's like this expectation of bad in our life. And for us, anything that's real isn't isn't good because it's not going to last. Anything that's good isn't real because it's not going to last. And so I told you just a few weeks ago, nobody ever says, hey man, I'm just keeping it real and then says something positive after, do they? 
It's always something negative. So we, we either fight shame with perfection or we fight it with criticism or we fight it with doubt because we try to insulate ourselves from ever being disappointed because we fall short. And then if we don't fight it with doubt, we fight it with lies. We, we fight it with positive speak. New age thinking that says stuff like, you know, you, you're enough. You are good. You just need to be your authentic self. You just need to learn to love you. You don't need to change. People need to change. And all of that sounds good, but none of it is biblical. Because if you were good, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die. If you were enough, then Jesus wouldn't have had to shed his blood for you and I to be accepted by God. So we are not enough. We are not good. We need to change. So if we fight shame the wrong way, we will lose and be overwhelmed. So the, the cure for shame is whenever we think about our sin, we must immediately turn our attention to his resurrection. He was raised, the Bible teaches us, to take away the kind of guilt that leaves us hopeless. This is why when you think about what Jesus did, you don't just look at what Jesus did and say, man, he did that for me. No, the Bible teaches that he did it as me. He didn't just die for me. Jesus died as me. He didn't just raise for me. Jesus rose as me. It wasn't just his resurrection. Come on, somebody. It was my resurrection. And so when I celebrate today, I'm not just celebrating the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. I'm celebrating the fact that I rise with him and I am walking in supernatural life this takes the focus off of what we are not and puts the focus on who Christ is this is the kind of sorrow that God is looking for the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 7 and 10 he says distress or sorrow that drives us to God does this it turns us around it gets us back in the way of salvation he says, we never regret that kind of pain, but those who let distress drive them away from God are full of regrets and they end up, end up on a deathbed of regrets. So God says, I don't want you to feel sorrow or guilt that pushes you away from me. I want you to, when you know you don't measure up, when you know you're not enough, to instead of trying to become enough, turn to me and let what I've done for you be enough and make you enough. Because if, if I'm in him, then I am good in him. If I'm in him, then I am enough in him. Come on, somebody. If I am in him, then I am more than a conqueror in him. If I am in him, then I have the victory in him on my own. I have no victory, no resurrection. So he says, I want you to feel the pain of your mistakes, but I want the pain of those mistakes to drive you to me not away from me. And I love that you're here today because even though maybe this is the first time you've been around church in a minute, I love that you still know that this is the place that you, you can return to no matter how far you have gone away. The New Living Translation says, for the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin, results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. And so because 
verse 5 of Colossians is a real challenge to me. Put to death the works of the flesh in light of everything that I have done. Because that's a real challenge to me. If I'm not careful, I'll try to do that on my own and not live in light of the cross. And then shame will overwhelm me. And I want you to remember three things as you leave today so that you can fight shame correctly. I don't want you to fight shame with perfectionism. I don't want you to fight it with doubt. I don't want you to fight it with lies. I don't want you to fight it with criticism. I want you to fight it correctly. And the first way we begin to fight shame in our life is remember that we have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Ephesians 2 and 13 says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Revelation chapter 12 says that there is an accuser of the brethren. He, he is Satan and he is day and night accusing the brethren. And the Bible says that they were able to overcome the accuser there in Revelation chapter 12. He says, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Is there anybody thankful that the accuser has been thrown down? Not because you weren't guilty, but because of the blood of the lamb that has freed you from your sin. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every person in this room is guilty of breaking the law. James teaches us that if you break one law, one alone, you are guilty of all the commands. And some of you are like, man, I keep the 10 commandments pretty good. He's not just talking about the 10 commandments. He's talking about the 600 plus commands in scripture. And he says, if you break one, you've broke them all. But I am thankful today that even though I have broke one, that means I have broke them all, that there is one named Jesus who kept them all perfectly for me. And what I could not do for myself, come on somebody, Jesus Christ himself has done it for me. So I'm brought near by the blood. But how do I, how do I receive this nearness? It's one thing to be like the blood of Christ forgives you, the blood of Christ redeems you. And I know and I hear that and I understand that the blood he spilled that day on Calvary covers my sin and cleanses me from all unrighteousness. But how do I experience that in my life? How do I know that? First John chapter 1 verses 6 through 10 say this. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So he says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There is not one person throughout all of history who has ever gone to God and asked for God to forgive them. And God has said no. Every sin that man would ever had ever commit was forgiven by the blood of Jesus. And John says the way we come near through his blood, he said, is confession. 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 Let me, let me give you my definition of what I believe confession looks like in the Bible. Confession is my opportunity to talk to God about what I've done so that God can remind me who I am. 
It is my opportunity to talk to God about what I've done so that God can remind me who I am in him. Nobody who ever comes and talks to God about their sin, does God ridicule them and berate them over their sin? No, God immediately forgives them for their sin and he welcomes them in. He cleanses them from all unrighteousness. He doesn't make them walk through fire. He doesn't make them run over an ocean. He doesn't make them prove themselves. You All you have to do is come to God and say, God, I am a sinner in need of grace and the blood of Jesus that was poured out on Calvary is over your life. It covers your life. It forgives you and you are cleansed from all of your unrighteousness. Every single sin. Proverbs 28 and 13 says it this way. He says, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So I've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Number two, I've been brought in by the body of Jesus. I'm not just near, I am in. Jesus removed every barrier between God and man. Everything that kept me at a distance has been removed. When the body of Jesus opened up and blood poured out of his body, his body didn't just open up so that the blood could flow out. His body opened up so that you and I could get in. Hebrews 10 and 20 says, By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, we get to come to God. So we are brought in by the body of Jesus. When his body opened up that day, it didn't just open up and blood spill out onto the ground. It opened up so that we could get in. As a matter of fact, when Jesus died and he gave up his last breath, the Bible says that there was a veil in the temple that covered the inner place where the glory of God was, where the light of God was, where supernatural uh, light was and the presence of God was represented. That veil was torn apart. They say that veil was four inches thick. Most people believe that you could tie two horses to the end of each side of that veil and you could pull, try to pull it apart with those horses and those horses could not do what God was able to do through the sacrifice of his son. We weren't able to tear it down ourselves. Horse, that's why the Bible says some may trust in horses, some may trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of our God. What a horse couldn't do, what man couldn't do, God in a moment did and And he opened up the veil, not just so that his presence could get out, but so that we could get into his presence. And I wonder if anybody in the room wants to give God some praise today. Maybe make some room, some noise in the hallway. Let's give God some praise today that the veil is open and we have access to God. We have access to God. How do I, how do I, how do I lay hold of this access? How do I? It, like, like the nearness in his blood, how do I lay hold of this? I lay hold of this through repentance. Romans 7 and 4, Paul writes there and he says, You died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another. And to him who raised him from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. The only way I bear fu- fruit for God is through the body of Christ. I can't get what God has for me if I can't be close to God. I can't get what God has for me if I can't be near to God. That's why when people, the, the, the disciples very often were, were, were professionals at who they thought should be near God. And every time they tried to keep somebody from God, God Jesus would say, hey, get out of the way. Don't keep 
them from getting to me. You let the little children come. You let the broken come. You let the diseased come. You let the afflicted come. You let the blind come. You let the lame come. Because that is how they get what I have. They can't, they can't get what I have if they cannot be close to me. So he says in verse 19, he says, what's crazy about all of this, he says, it seems like the good I want to do, I don't. And the evil I don't want to do, that's what I do. So in verses 24 through 25, he comes to this conclusion. He says, what a wretched man I am. I love this because this is the acknowledgement of who we really are without Christ. We're not good. The Bible says there's no one good but him. Nobody good. But man, I've got a good heart. No, the Bible says the heart is wicked above all things. Don't trust it. So this mindset where we fail and we're like, but I'm good, it just confuses us because we're not. Paul was able to admit, he's like, I'm wretched. I'm just bad. I was listening to an interview just recently and they were, they were talking to this Christian artist who had been extremely popular in the 80s and 90s and had gone through a, a divorce in the, in the 90s. And because of that, the church had rejected her and kind of pushed her to the side and people were talking bad about her. And she was trying to come back and she was trying to sing again. She had repented. She had turned her life around and she was trying to get back into churches and churches wouldn't allow her in. And she just got she got blindsided by this interviewer one time who sat her down and just looked her in the face and said, you're, you're a liar. You lied to the body of Christ. You lied to the church. You cheated on your family. You failed in your marriage. What makes you think that you could ever, ever sing on a stage again? Wow. If that was me, I probably would have just started crying and ran out of the room. I wouldn't have known what to do. But she looked at him because she had truly repented. She had truly repented. And she said, you know what? I'm actually worse than you think I am. And it shut the mouth of the accuser. The accuser doesn't keep silent when you try to tell everybody that you are something you're not. The accuser shuts up when you admit you who you are because it allows God to come in and be for you, stand in the gap for you, and declare for you that he is not what he did. See, that's what shame does. Shame makes you want to identify with what you've done, what's been done to you. But God wants to free you from shame. And one of the ways he does that is through repentance. So he says, what a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. He said, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I am not going to be delivered by this body. I'm going to be delivered by his body. Repentance means that I can be delivered from the shame of a natural body that wants to do nothing but rebel against God. Anybody in the room ever been caught in the act of doing something wrong? Anybody watching online, you've been caught in the act. Maybe it was just something as simple as you weren't supposed to get those cookies and you took those <laughs> cookies. And I'm not just talking to kids. I'm talking to married people who the wife said the Oreos are off limits to you. And <laughs> Maybe that's the extent of your failure, but 
many of us in this room have some darker, darker failures than taking the cookie when we shouldn't have taken the cookie. We've been caught in the act. There was a woman in the Bible who was caught in the act of adultery. The Bible says that the religious people of the day, they grabbed her and they brought her into the streets and they threw her down at the feet of Jesus. They wanted to stone her because of what she had done. But Jesus ended up forgiving her and setting her free. Let the feelings that come with failure, let them throw you to the feet of Jesus instead of stoning you. That feeling you feel where you know I have disappointed people, I have disappointed God. Let that feeling, instead of allowing it to stone you to death and to make you end up dead on a deathbed of regrets, let that feeling throw you at the feet of Jesus so that he can lift up your head. He can dispel all of the accusations and cause you to walk in a brand new life. Can somebody say amen? amen? And I'm talking this morning to people living in shame either because of what you've done or because of what has been done to you. Not just the shame of sin, but the shame of failure. Not just the the shame of sin, but the shame of what you haven't done. I'm talking about the people who have built their life on lies. I'm talking to the woman who hurts every time she sees a baby because of the one she aborted. I'm talking to the man who sees a successful business and it reminds him of his failed attempts. I'm talking to the person whose marriage fell apart because they were unfaithful. I'm talking to the people who were abused and still feel fear and unloved. I'm talking to the people with an STD that are afraid no one can love them and their decisions have made them unable to have children. I'm talking to a mom who's lost her family because of her addiction. To men who've abandoned their responsibility as a father and a husband to the woman who is embarrassed today because he left. I'm talking to all of the people who are struggling with shame. And I am telling you, in spite of all of that, God still wants you. He still wants you. Luke 15, there's a story about a prodigal son. The word prodigal just means wasteful. So he's the wasteful son. So whether you're in the room today and you feel like you have wasted your life or you think that your life is a waste, the Bible says that this son who was gone from the house, deep, entrenched in sin, the Bible says that he came to himself in the middle of his sin, and he made a decision to go home. And when he started home, he was broke. He didn't have a home to go to and shower up and clean up. He didn't have a change of clothes. He didn't have anything. He didn't have food. He was so broke that the Bible says that he was so desperate for food he was going to eat the food that the pigs ate. And smelling like pigs, desperate and hungry, full of the shame and failure, 
the Bible says he thought about his father and he decided to go home. And while he's on his way home, the Bible says that the father sees him from afar off. And I love this because what this means for you and me is no matter how close we think we get to God, the closest we will ever be in our own effort is far off. God isn't looking for prodigals to run home. God is looking for prodigals he can run to. And now here's the, here, here the thing that's so incredible about what happens in this story is that instead of the father making the son walk all the way home in his shame, the father runs and meets him before he gets home. And the Bible says that the father puts a robe on him, puts a ring on his finger, puts sandals on his feet. And I believe that all of this happened because the father did not want the son to make that journey home in his shame. But he wanted him to walk by every single one of the people in the household, his brother, the servants, the people working in the field, He wanted them to see him not with the stench of his failure all over him, but clothed in the father's garment of righteousness. And today it's our responsibility to make sure that people aren't exposed like that. It's our responsibility to make sure that you have a place where you can come home to that isn't going to make you walk the walk of shame. It's not going to make you parade all of your mistakes before us before we let you back in. But we meet you on the road with the garments of God to cover you so that you can make that walk home safely. You leave shame the moment you decide to walk home. The moment you decide to come home. Notice some similarities of this story and the story of Jesus. Jesus was betrayed by a kiss. The son was received with a kiss. They mocked Jesus with a robe, but the son was honored with a robe. They pierced the feet and hands of Jesus, but the son was given a ring for his hands and new sandals for his feet. They took the clothes of Jesus to leave his body exposed, but the father covered his son so that he wouldn't be ashamed. So I'm brought near through his blood. I'm brought in by his body and I'm brought out by the resurrection. In Mark 16, the women show up that day and as they're showing up to the tomb, they're having this conversation and they say, hey, who's gonna roll away the stone? It's pretty heavy. And then they get there to see that the stone had already been rolled away and the body of Jesus was gone. He was alive. Reminds me of Joshua chapter five and verse nine when they're getting ready to enter into the promise and God says to Joshua that day, he says, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, the shame of Egypt from you. I've rolled it away. When he rose from the dead, he rose from the dead to roll away your shame. And we live in a culture that desires not to just expose wrong, but to destroy people who do wrong. The plan of the enemy is to use shame to make people hide, conceal, and ultimately die. And I've got bad news and good news. The bad news is is that you and I are weaker than we think. 
But the good news is that Jesus is stronger than you could ever imagine. And the beauty of the resurrection is that because Jesus was strong for me, I am not defined by my weakest moment. And because Jesus won for me, I am not defined by my losses. Because I was crucified with him, I will rise with him. The gospel is not for the strong, it is for the weak. Because when you're strong, you don't need grace. Isaiah 54 and four says, fear not, you will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid. There is no more disgrace for you. Your greatest disgrace cannot stop the grace of God. Your deepest sin only exposes the depth of his love. If everybody in the room would stand with me today and bow your head. I just wanna ask if there's anyone in this room who feels far away from God because of their mistakes and you wanna be brought near to God, not because you are mistake free, but because of what Jesus has done. Maybe you're in the room and you have never given your life to Jesus and you're here today and you wanna put your faith in God and have him come in and cleanse you from all of your sin and unrighteousness and make you a brand new creature. Or maybe you're in the room today and you've walked with God, but you have walked away either because of what you have done or because of the things that have been done to you. You are hurt, you are wounded. The church hurt you, the church wounded you and you walked away, you stepped away. People who were supposed to represent God hurt you and you stepped back from the things of God. And today, because of the grace of God, because of the resurrection, you don't wanna live in the shame of what was done or what was done to you, but you wanna walk towards home today and you want to feel the arms of God wrapped around you and receiving you and welcome you welcoming you home if that's you you're doing it for the first time or you're here and you're doing it for the hundredth time it doesn't matter I want you to know that you can come near to God if you put your faith in Jesus today if that's you one two three throw that hand up in the air throw that hand up in the air that's you I see you hands everywhere come on throw that hand way high so I can see it these lights are blinding me let me see awesome awesome Hands all over the room. Come on, church, let's pray with those that lifted their hand this morning. Let's pray this prayer together. If you're in the hallway, if you're online, come on, let's all pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me, that you gave your life for me. Here's my life. Take it, all of it. Use it for your glory. I repent of my sins. I confess you as Lord. Thank you for receiving me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Can we put our hands together and bless the Lord? Come on, let's bless him. Let's bless him. Come on, and if you're a follower of Jesus, but you've been struggling with shame, throw your hands up in the air today. Shame has no authority in your life. There's no power over you, no control over you. Jesus rose from the dead to roll away your shame. So today, walk in the new life that God has given you. You're like, but man, Robbie, my past is great. Oh, his grace is greater. Robbie, my sins are great. Oh, man, his grace is greater. His grace always outruns your past. Where sin abounds, he says, grace much 
more abounds. So live in the finished work, the resurrection of Jesus Christ today, knowing that you have victory over every, every sin, every bit of guilt, every shame. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, amen. Amen. I love you so much. If you made a decision for the Lord or you just need prayer today, our prayer team will be up front. We'd love to meet you. Thank you for coming. Happy Easter. We'll see you soon.